There we go. Um, so it, I, I feel really uh, blessed and, and honored to be invited up here. Uh, I was talking to uh, Monica and, and Tim and uh, my friend, uh, they met my friend Rich B from Ocean City, Maryland in uh, North Dakota. And I guess he gave them my number and here I am. So this is how the program works, right? We don't say no. We just say yes and, and uh, do our best. Uh, welcome to the newcomers. I, I'm, I'm impressed with this meeting with the number of newcomers. This means this is a safe uh, place to be and, uh, and you guys are safe. You couldn't be in a better place on the planet than in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Let's see. Uh, also, yeah, the 17 people, the, they, they, they stopped in time. Man, you know, it, it's so true because, you know, we really are fortunate to be standing on the shoulders of the giants that walked this path and, and raised the bottom for us to, so we didn't have to, like, lose it all. I mean, some of us did, but, man, it, you know, it's just not a contest to see who has the most effed up life, right? And we can just put the shovel down whenever. Did you like that, Tim? Effed up? There you go. Huh? You are welcome. Uh, and um, yeah, and I, I, I love that. I love that because, you know, you know, I, I was able to get here and uh, I still had a job and I was still married. And, uh, um, but it got close. Trust me, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. All right. So, so unlike Michelle... I had um, Ozzy and Harriet for present for, for parents, and uh, you know they were just the most loving, kind, gentle uh, people. And uh, I've got uh, uh, three sisters and a brother. There's five of us kids, and and uh, you know we we grew up uh, grew up in Inglewood during the '60s. And our dad taught at USC. He was a, a sociology press professor and, and criminal justice administration. So we grew up in the 60s in Inglewood during civil rights and Vietnam War. And my parents were um, progressive Canadian liberals. <laughs> so we went to a lot of rallies, a lot of jazz concerts. You know, LA was a, is a, is a smoking hot town for uh, for uh, you know cultural events, and they were very much into that. And they gave us a very broad um, upbringing, and uh, it, it 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 was cool. It was cool until the Watts riots happened, and then we were adjacent to Watts, and uh, and down the street the uh, National Guard set up an armory, and there were tanks and transporters and machine gun mounted jeeps, and there was a curfew and you know, we thought the Vietnamese had, you know, attacked Los Angeles. We, we didn't know what to make of all that. So, sorry, I got some notes here because, you know, I'm getting old. Um, yeah, but, you know, great parents, great upbringing. Uh, we, 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 we did great vacations and, and, uh, and really connected. So, you know, so the fact that I ended up, uh, you know, a nefarious criminal, uh, uh, doesn't fit the scenario with the way I was raised. Um, anyway, um, and and look, with that, I, like I never drank in high school. I didn't. I didn't drink in high school. I was a straight arrow. I was an athlete. I was a good student. I, I was following the the mold. And um, you know what happened was uh, my parents 
uh, moved to Omaha, Nebraska, where, where my dad was the executive director of Father Flanagan's Boys Town. Uh, and, and I was 16 and I had just got my license and I moved from LA to Omaha. And my sisters and uh, my sister's best friend, they all moved to San Diego. And my sister's best friend had, had a baby. And these four young women were raising this child in a three bedroom apartment in El Cajon. And my brother and I were in Omaha and we missed them and we hated Omaha. And we would take like a two day bus drive to spend two days in San Diego and then two days back. You know, uh, we, uh, we, we, got, we got out to San Diego as often as we could. And in that back and forth, uh, uh, my sisters, you know, two moved into a Christian living house. One moved up to, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. What, I can't remember, San Luis Obispo. And, uh, and so, 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 so their, their, their dear friend with, with, with this child, she, she, she got a smaller apartment. And so I still wanted to go to San Luis, so, so I stayed there. And, uh, and you know, this, look, I've known this young woman since she was, I was 10, she was 14 when I met her. And my sister, they, they've been best friends uh, since, since, since then. And, and now I'm 18 and she's 22. And, um, and uh, anyway, I always loved this, 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 this woman. And, um, and I totally admired her for, for take, keeping this child and raising her with my sisters and not, not the guy was kind of a loser. And, uh, and I thought, good for her. She's awesome. She's awesome. Well, um, going back and forth, uh, there was an attraction that, that, that happened, especially for me. And so in the Christmas of 1976, I, my sisters were coming out to uh, Boulder, Colorado. And I said to my dad, Look, you know what, dad, um, let's bring Nan and Erica out. I'll pay one way if you'll pay the other. I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And so, um, so Nan and Erica came out the day after, after Christmas. And um, in that week, uh, Nan and I fell in love. And uh, it shocked me, it shocked everybody. Nobody, nobody you know, it was kind of like, I mean, Nancy Nearman, I mean, she's for, forbidden fruit. She's like my sister kind of, but, but way hotter, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it didn't take me long. I, uh, you know, because she didn't totally reject the idea of this like punk kid with hair down to here, you know, anyway, we fell in love and that was it. And I was done and I uh, quit college and um i moved to san diego and and i married that woman and i raised that child and we have another child and that was 46 years ago and now we have seven grandkids and she's sitting right here so honey thanks for coming up baby well um, but but what happened is i had to get into the work world and i had to go from boy to man like quick because i had just graduated from high school and now I'm a father and a husband and I, and I got a union job running a printing press and I was the youngest guy on the shift and I didn't drink and all those guys drank and I wanted to fit in. I wanted them to like me. So I thought, well, I better drink with these guys. So I started drinking with them.
And we worked from four in the afternoon till 1230. And uh, so at eight o'clock every night, we were drinking in the parking lot, you know? And then at 1230, nobody's up. It was just us. So we drank together. We go to somebody's house and, you know, watch David Letterman and drink. Um, so um, that escalated to weed, which was super fun to have that combo. Man, now we are cooking with gas. And, um, and then that got expensive. So I thought it'd be a good idea to start dealing the weed. And that got very lucrative. You know, I could triple my paycheck every week. I got paid every week. I could triple my paycheck. And uh, I remember, I don't know, I was like 24 years old. I was driving a five series BMW. Nan was actually, and we had a Westphalia camper and we had a little vacation house down in Mexico. And I was making $8 an hour running a printing press. So uh, I thought I was kind of killing it. Um, <laughs> And then, then, you know, but that, 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 uh, that scene led to, you know, you know, harder stuff, uh, you know, cocaine and crystal meth. And I, and I, uh, I really liked that and I couldn't afford that. So I went to work for a cocaine dealer and I was his driver and I was also his enforcer and I was his collection agent. I was a pretty imposing guy at 24. And, um, and so that kind of escalated things, you know, the drinking, I could have probably kept drinking for probably a few more years, but you know, you mix that, 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 that cocaine and that crystal meth into that. And, uh, you know, the bottom comes rushing up pretty hard. And by the time I was 28, I had, uh, I think I had uh, a couple of torn meniscus, uh, separated shoulder. You know, I was, I was, I was tearing myself up, uh, you know, playing football and, riding motorcycles uh, and uh, being a, a fool, you know, loaded. And, um, and, um, and then um, I had a couple of really, you know, so I was in the ER quite often. And, uh, and then, um, and then I got, I remember I, it, was, I was, it was after the 4th of July, we we're going down to our place down in Mexico and, you know, I was responsible drug. So I knew I had to go get some Mexican insurance. So I was on my way to AAA and I was pretty hungover from the 4th of July weekend. And well, all I know is I came out of AAA and that my, my van, my, my camper, my Westphalia was surrounded by cops, which was not a good thing because I knew how many empties there were in the back of that thing. And I knew that there were mirrors and razors and roaches. And I went, holy shit. And I just panicked and, and uh, you know, I said, just your vehicle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know that you, you hit a child, you know? And I said, no way, no way, I, no, I, no, I did not, I did not, I did not. They, and, uh, and, and there was this kid, you know, on his bicycle. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I was adamant that I didn't, you know, I was desperate too, and I was panicked. And I, holy shit, and I was terrified, and I, you know, um, I came home. Look, I'm shaking right now. Man, I'm feeling, I'm living it. Um, remember the desperation? I, 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 I came home and my, and my dad was there and I told him what happened. I told him what was going on. I said, they're going to arrest me, dad. I'm, they're, 
goes, no, 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 Joe, Joe, come on, calm down. My dad was like that, and he was like that in the best way. But, you know, you know, he also he had spent his life in you know, teaching criminal justice administration and working with police departments and probation departments and parole. And he spent his whole life reforming prison systems and he's a wonderful guy and he knew a lot of people. And so, so he exercised all the white privilege he had and he called the DA, <clears throat> who was a friend of his. And um, that should have been a felony hit and run and got reduced to an unsafe left turn. $135. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that was a, a, a bullet that I dodged, but, the, but, but look, man, I was also like, look, I, 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 I was like hallucinating and stuff, you know, like, I don't know if you know what it's like to stay up for three or four days, but you know, the, things start happening that aren't happening. I remember I, uh, went to the bathroom and I saw rats in the toilet and I freaked out and I went and told Nan, so we, the rats are swimming up the sewer. We got rats in the toilet. And, 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 and she goes, really? And I go, yeah, yeah. And of course they were gone. And, but you know, I called the city the next day. I said, we got a rat problem in this town and I need somebody to come out here and figure out how these rats are swimming up. They go, that is impossible. That cannot happen. I said, well, you tell that to the rat in my toilet. You know, and then and then, then I remember like hearing these cat fights in the attic. <laughs> you know, so 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 this was going on. I'm going to the hospital. I've got legal woes that dodged dodged the bullet there. Anyway, um, all I know is Nan was kind of done with all this, and now we've got two kids, and she's uh, got the kids in the station wagon, pulling away from the curb, heading to her parents. And I'm standing in the kitchen window, watching her and my children leave, pouring the strows down the sink, crying, going, what's wrong with me? What, what is wrong with me? And then 30 minutes later, going and buying another 12 pack. So. Uh, if I didn't know I was powerless there, then, um, and I didn't, but it just really showed me just how powerless uh, I am and how insidious this, this disease is. Um, there's one other thing that kind of led to that. Just before, before Nan left, um, I had a, a, a drug deal go down in the living room with uh, the Mexican mafia and um, and I had a buyer set up and they showed up with, I don't know how many pounds, I don't, uh, you know, it was more than three. So it was, it was a substantial buy and the buyer's not there and they're here and they got the weed and they just want to get, they want to get it done and go. And, and they're sitting in my living room and I'm, I'm mixing Tanqueray and tonic and serving them drinks. And I play the piano and sing. So I started playing a little Billy Joe. Don't go changing. And uh, uh, they were unamused with that for sure. And uh, and then and then and then my partner showed up with the money. We got the deal done. 
and I had a psychotic episode, a total meltdown. And I remember I had been to like Australia uh, a couple of years before, and there was a, a friend of mine that I met there was traveling, was staying with us. And I am absolutely in meltdown. I'm going, what have I done? What am I doing? The Mexican mafia knows where I live. I got pictures of my kids on the mantle. You know, like, what am I doing? What have I done? I had like some kind of moment of clarity with a psychotic episode. And I can remember him rubbing my back. And he goes, mate, mate, you weren't cut out for this shit. <laughs> and he was right. I was a terrible drug dealer. I was terrible. I was terrified all the, the entire time. I was really bad at it. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so that combination of Nan leaving, psychotic episode, hospitals, uh, legal troubles, you know, just led to that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I, you know, uh, you know, I came, I became willing, you know, and my sister had been in the program. My sister had been calling me and telling me, and I go, and I was just an asshole. Well, you know, Sandy, I wasn't the one that wet the bed because I was so fucked up. Oh, geez, Tim, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> But I was, I mean, you know, I was just this righteous jerk. And, you know, when that willingness creeped in, you know, and she knew what was going on with all the, all the episodes in my life. And um, so she, you know, she called and she said, you need help. And I guess she had been talking to my dad because my dad said, look, I'm going with you. I need to stop too. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's go figure out what this is. And, I went to my first AA meeting and, uh, you know, I just, it was, it was just like, listen to the stories. I'm going, man, these guys must've been watching me, you know, cause like, I'm, I'm just not that unique, you know, it's just not that big a deal, you know? And, and then, and then I found, I found a home group. I found the uh, Mesa men's and I remember I was early in sobriety and there was, a, there was a guy, he, he was a, a radio and television personality up front telling this story, like horrifying. Like, dude, what are you saying? And the room is roaring with laughter. And these are the secrets I'm taking to the grave. And he's talking about it like it's some kind of joke. And I don't know, it was, it was very paradoxical for me. I'd say, I don't know what's going on here, but if these guys can laugh at this kind of shit, Maybe I can, maybe I can, but I was taking myself pretty serious, you know, and I was, you know, I was pretty, pretty fresh, you know, experiencing all that. So newcomers, you're going to hear stuff. And if people are laughing when they should be crying, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know, and so I got there, but, you know, I was, I was kind of a half measures guy. I always have been. And so, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I thought it was a miracle that I quit uh, drinking a case of beer a day and, and uh, doing an eight ball of whatever a week. And uh, I was just smoking a little weed, you know, and, and, and because I didn't get a big book and because I did not get a sponsor those first two years, I just was going with the loophole. We claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. And I thought, I thought, yeah, well, this is progress, you know. 
until um, until that same pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization just sunk in, uh, and uh, and uh, and 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 Nan said, uh, "I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this anymore." And you know what I told her? I told her, "I'll be goddamned if you're going to tell me I can't smoke weed." And that was just exactly what she needed to hear. Uh, no, no, she said, okay, okay, well, I'm done, you know? And, um, you know, I, once again, I had to humble and, uh, and, and the pain got to be enough, you know, that pain being the touchstone for change. And I got myself into enough pain and I recognized and realized what had happened and, uh, and who I had become, who I had, was still was really, uh, and I got busy, you know, and um, I uh, I started, you know, take getting into the action of this program. You can't you can't do this with intentions. It it takes action, and uh, you know, I was doing like five meetings a week at least, uh, you know, including a, a big book study, you know, and, and a step study, and a men's meeting, and a speakers meeting. And uh, I was also answering phones at AA Central every every uh, Thursday from nine uh, five to nine, and then I was and then I was twelve stepping guys. You know the guy the guy that I was uh, answering phones with. Uh, we, we we met each other in AA. We were young dads, and and uh, we were we you know we had a lot of similar stuff going on with our stories, and we found each other, and that guy became my best friend, and. And we twelve stepped a lot of guys, and 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 we we carried this message. Then uh, and, um, and then we would twelve step them, and then we bring those guys home. You know, and uh, you know that was causing some problems. You know, like what the hell are you thinking? We have a teenage daughter, and uh, uh, you know the voice of reason, my darling wife Nancy, the voice of reason. Uh, you know, and so, uh, but still, you know. It it, 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 that's, you know, that's what it takes. You know, we, you know, we, we, uh, we gotta be, uh, that, that, that fifth tradition, you know, our primary purpose, you know, to help the alcoholic who still suffered. And I was all in, I was all in. And, um, so we did that. Oh, let me, let me just get to the bullet points here. Okay. Where are we? Uh, psychotic episode covered <laughs> marijuana maintenance, half measures availed us nothing. <laughs> Got busy. Oh, good. I'm, I'm killing it. Okay. And then it came. It was our 10th wedding anniversary. I'm out five nights a week doing AA, trying to get my head freaking straight, you know, trying to be the man that God wants me to be, trying to like live these steps and change who I am. And um, it was our 10th wedding anniversary. And I, I rented a convertible. I'm gonna take my darling wife out for dinner and we're gonna have a swinging hot night. And we ended up on a hillside overlooking our hometown of La Mesa, talking about our divorce. Talking about, I remember she said to me, you know, look, she knew something was going on. But she thought that this AA thing was, you know, she thought I, this recovery thing was like a little too much. Like, like there's some way for me to get attention or something, you know? 
man, there's easier ways for me to get attention than to get sober. Uh, but she just didn't, she didn't get it, you know? Like I'm not, you know, look, I was like Jekyll and Hyde, you know, towards the end of the using and then in, in recovery, like trying to figure this up. I was like, I was a mess. And I remember her telling me, maybe you just need to find somebody to recover with, whatever that is, you know? And, uh, and it was hard. It was hard for both of us because we love each other. But I was just, God, just a mess. And so, you know, we did what the book says. We got outside help, you know, and um, we, uh, we went, to, went to counseling. We went to therapy and we got a therapist that was familiar with the 12 steps and was able to contextualize and help Nan kind of see. And she started coming to meetings with me to get a better understanding. That was part of it. And we started, you know, like working on each other. You know, I had to, you know, you know, I had worked on myself and, 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 I, and I had to continue to work on myself, but I couldn't do it at the expense of my family. And I, you know, alcoholics have a hard time finding balance. You know, there's just hard decisions. Somebody's going to pay the price. Right. So uh, that was kind of that was kind of my deal. And um, and uh, we got that outside help and. Um, you know, and the steps, you know, everything that I had, I said, I got to practice this stuff. I got to put this into action, you know, like this 10th step is the get out of jail free, you know. And uh, so I started not just doing the steps, but I started living the steps. I started embodying the steps and I started the steps became, you know, principles uh, for, for, for living. And um, and they they made sense for me. And they also opened my spiritual world. You know, I uh, I stopped going to battery charges and I started going to church with my wife and my children, you know, and we got involved and we uh, we you know, we sang in the choir together for for 10 years, you know, and and uh, and um, and I started finding some, some more balance. And, 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 and because I really I mean, I wanted to be a good man. I wanted to be a good husband and and she sure the hell deserved it. And uh, I wanted to give her my best. So. Okay, there we go. So yeah, I got busy, and um, um, you know, and and what I learned by like living these steps and 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 working them in my life, and uh, being able to you know gain that freedom, like each one is designed for us to become more and more free. And, you know, uh, and I, you know, I know this isn't new, but I, but I, I remember hearing this uh, in Lamaze Minutes, you know, you know, we're sick as your, our secrets and how free do you want to be? And, you know, that, that searching and fearless moral inventory and that rigorous honesty, those are all the keys. Newcomers, those are the keys to the freedom. You know, you got to drop the con game. You got to get real. So, so I did that. And, um, you know, um, I had, you know, and, and because it opened my spiritual um, life up, um, how am I doing on time? Good? Okay. Um, you know, I started looking for other, other, other ways to enhance my sobriety. And I did this, I did this men's retreat, you know, and it was an introspective three-day retreat uh, to take a, you know, a really deep look at what's working and what's not working. And, and it was framed as a a rites of passage as an initiation into manhood. And it was men initiating men. And it was fierce. And it was, it was, it, you know, for me, 
it was it was like very comfortable. I had gone to these places. I knew my shadows. I had taken a look, you know, but this this was different. This was different. This was physical. This was tangible. This was like, you know, fourth and fifth step, like on the big screen, you know, and um, and it was wild. It was very wild. And I. I, I came off that and I, and it, it upped my honesty and it upped my game and it upped up my kind of my, I don't want to call it recklessness. I mean, like fearlessness. I was always reckless. This was more like fearless. This is like really trusting who I was. I, I, I began to trust myself and um, geez, it, it, it was impressive. And I, th- and I thought to myself, I could have used this at 14, not almost 40, you know, you know, so um, there were a few other guys in this work that felt the same way. And so we created uh, a, a, a program to initiate young men. And um, we, use, we use the, the, the principles that I learned in, in Alcoholics Anonymous around listening, you know, and accepting, meeting people where they are, you know, and just encouraging them and not telling them what to do, but just tell them what you've done. And see what what connects and what and, and how they react to that. And so um, that was 25 years ago. And we now have an, an, a national organization called Boys to Men Mentoring, and uh, we do in school group mentoring, and uh, and we have teams of mentors that show up in in circles in in, in middle schools and high schools around the country, where they uh, the whole concept is to uh, share with the boys what happened to us how we felt, the decisions we made for the, from those feelings, the price we paid for those choices and talk about what we wish we had done different or what we wished was available and then become that asset for them. And, uh, and you know, uh, it, it's pretty cool because, uh, you know, we're running like these eight little mini A meetings for middle school kids. And, and maybe doing, maybe changing the trajectory, you know, it only takes one or two degrees, you know, you get two degrees off, you play that out for 20 years, you're in another universe. But if you know what your true north is, and you, you got this weekly interaction where you're pulling yourself back to, to that, you know, there's, there's promise, there's opportunity, and, and there's redemption too, because if you screw up, nobody's going to go anywhere, like here, nobody's going anywhere. We get to screw up, and we get to be loved regardless. And so we start, we, we're, we're doing that. And, um, and then we did, we, we framed a, a weekend for, for the boys. And, um, and I just came from one of those weekends. <laughs> we just had 70 men up on Palomar Mountain and 30 boys. And, uh, and, uh, and they had been touching on their stuff in the weekly groups. And, and they came up to the mountain for three days and took a deep dive into that. And they created a roadmap to the man they want to be. And they've got their own steps and their own earmarks and their goals that they want to do for themselves. And now we get to go back into the schools and help them integrate that. You know, and that's Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me, you know. And um, um, so that's, that's encouraging. How are we doing on time? We still good? Okay. So... You know, I get to live a mission of service, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, constant vigilance for the welfare of others. You know, those are those are things that. Are, OK, 10 minutes. Good. Great. Um, you know, um, 
You know, and, and, and like, you know, even when, uh, you know, with these steps and with, with the way that they, they've transformed me and turned me into a reasonable human being, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with new guys, you know, and, 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 and like those 17 that, that they, they stopped just in time, you know, I, I'll say to them, you know, okay, so what if you did admit that you're powerless, you know, and what if you did you know, you, you, it, and because you're powerless, you turn your will and your life over to this God. And, 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 uh, and, oh, you came, you thought you could get sane. And then, you, and then in that sanity, you could turn your life over to care of God. And then you took a look at yourself and you wrote down all your shortcomings and then you talked about them. And then you listed your defects and you asked God to remove those and you made that list and you, and, and, uh, and then you went out and, up and cleaned up your mess. And then every day you can take a look at yourself and, and find out where you, where you screwed up and then clean it up like right away. You don't have to carry this for years and then pray and meditate and, 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 and seek some peace and some acceptance and, 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 and then go out and help others. And you die and you go to heaven and God is there waiting for you. And he opens the gates and he says, hey, welcome, brother. Good job. By the way, you weren't really alcoholic. So what? So what if you've had this life of freedom and purpose and service and, 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 and you can sleep at night? So what? It is a hell of a deal. Newcomers, this is a hell of a deal. So if you're questioning, you know, whether this is you got this thing or not, don't worry about it. Take it. Just take it, you know, because whatever you got going right now got you here. And being here is, uh, is there's, there's, there's hope. There is hope. And, um, and just ask Nan. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, grace of God, there's no way we should still be married. Not with the lunatic I was. And uh, so, um, so I want to thank Michelle and Bill for coming up. Bill's my sponsor. He's a saint. I love you, Bill. And, um, and I, I don't have anything else. That's it for me. All right. Thank you all. <laughs>